Okay, everyone, welcome to the Less Doing podcast number 66. My name's Felix Bird, and here is your host, Ari Mizell. Hello, everybody, and welcome back. We have a lot to talk about this week before we get to the interview. Uh, and I think, first of all, why don't we just go right into one of the user questions? I'm actually really excited about that. So let's kick that off right away. Okay, cool. Okay. Um, okay, user questions. Fenner Paul asks, I have about 40 random cards in my wallet, like insurance, loyalty cards, credit cards, etc. How do I get rid of stuff and carry less, but not give up the information? Okay, so Fenna, I love this question. Thank you for asking it. Uh, I've had the exact same situation. I think a lot of people have there that sort of George Costanza wallet situation. Uh, and there are a couple ways to deal with this. So currently, you know, for those watching, I, I'll show you. Basically, here's my iPhone. On the back of my iPhone, I have a card ninja, which is just this little flexible thing. And in it, I have three cards. That's all I carry, and that's all I have carried for about three years now. So the first thing is to get rid of all the cards, and there's a couple ways to do that. If it's loyalty cards or, you know, like your, your Starbucks card, although even a Starbucks card you don't need anymore because there's a Starbucks app. So I actually have the Starbucks app on my phone because they, they actually have a decent protein pack, believe it or not. But uh, when you go into the store, it has the geolocation. It pops up right on your phone, and you can just scan it, and it's really quick. So even for loyalty cards, I'm, I'm almost getting ahead of myself. But for things... Or companies that don't have those apps, like maybe your local supermarket or something where there's a loyalty card. I actually really like uh, Keyring, it's called. So it's a called- Yeah, I use Keyring too. You use Keyring. Okay, so it's great. No, I right? do have one issue with it, which you need to talk about. What? I, I have a, an, an issue with it that I need to talk about. Well, to tell you. me, please, because I don't actually use it. I don't keep loyalty cards, so tell me. Okay. Well, maybe you should explain what Keyring is. Okay, so yeah, so Keyring, well, actually, Felix, why don't you explain? You're a yeah, user. Sure. Well, why not? Exactly. So I like Keyring because, yes, like like you, Fenner, I have all of these. I used to have all of these loyalty cards, and you want to get the discounts at the store. So what Keyring does is they said, "Hey, let's uh, ditch that, and why don't we just scan all of those into the iPhone? Uh, make an app that you can scan them all into the iPhone, or you just type in the number. It's it's really simple, and they will basically auto magically recognize your cards, and and then it will pull up a picture of the barcode on the screen when you're in the store and so you have all of your all of your loyalty cards are effectively in your iphone and it's great uh so i use that however this is the one thing that that i have had a slight issue with if i'm in a store and there's not a good internet connection for some reason um it i have been at the checkout waiting there for it to connect and for some reason it didn't i don't know why it wouldn't store the the data on your phone instead of having to download it right then and there. Now, that's a very good if, point. I could and that be using it wrong. Sense. I could be missing. I could be missing a setting or something. In fact, you know what I should do is I should put my phone in airport mode and see if when I open Keyring, I have it right here because it's one of my favorite apps. Um, one of the things you can do is you can take a photo of of the card. It's like a a backup and I do that with some of them so I think I've done that with um, let me have a look and well, let's go ahead. sorry um, oh look you see right here maybe they've maybe they've updated it yeah because that would be a really right bad here I mean I'm in um, I'm in airport mode now and it's pulling up the you know the bar scan so maybe this is a um, maybe this is an improvement 
Okay, good. All right, well, so then Kieran anyway, app, basically you Kira, scan yeah. all your loyalty cards and you can have them all there. So you got your CVS card, you've got your, I'm glad you're very happy with Kieran app now. Good. So the issue is no longer an issue. Yeah, it looks like it was Ralph's. It was always at Ralph's supermarket in Los Angeles that I was uh, thing. So there we go. Ignore that comment. Nice. Okay. Well, great. So Keyring app was going to take care of all those those random kind of loyalty cards. Your maybe your Blockbuster. Oh, I guess Blockbuster going to business, but you know, video rental cards. Some of those things. Pretty much anything with a barcode you can put into something like Keyring app. The other stuff, like let's say your insurance card, and that's a big one, by the way. Everyone has insurance card. If you have kids, what about maybe driver's license. What? Driver's license and yes, insurance. Yes, well, the driver's license is the one you can't get rid of, actually. And we can talk about that, too, because that's there needs to be a solution for that. But insurance cards, I have three kids, so I, and I, I often have my wife's card. So I used to have, like, five cards on me. So with Evernote, the app, there is yeah. a photo feature. You can take a picture of anything, right? But one of the choices is business card. And I love it because it automatically recognizes the shape of the card and it gets it. And you can use it yeah. for those non-business cards, such as the the uh, insurance cards or maybe your your real estate broker's license or whatever it is, and it will actually recognize the information from it as well. And if you realize when you go to the doctor's office, they don't need the actual card. They are going to take a copy of it. They want the number. So you don't have to have the physical card on you. Mm. Yeah, so, exactly. That's really So good. you just have all those images. So yeah. you got that. You got the key ring. You got Evernote card scanner. And then the last thing, if you have a lot of credit cards and you want to change that, is this new thing called the only? Or yeah, it's I called just the saw coin. This. Yeah, awesome. so it, some of you may have yeah. seen this. It was really popular on Kickstarter. It's a, it's really cool. Basically, it stores all of the magnetic strip information for all of your credit cards, and then you just basically push a button. It, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a physical card that you right. get. Yeah, and, sorry, uh, it looks like a credit card yeah. with a little LCD screen on it, and you can choose. Basically, it can become any of your credit cards. Yeah. So that would be my recommendation. So, you know, I said I only carry three cards. One of them is a driver's license, one is a American Express card, and one is a debit card. So if I had a Android phone, I could probably do NFC, you know, near field communication, not have to even use my debit card. But for now, I'm accepting taking three cards with me. The driver's license is a good one. You know, I don't know what you could possibly do about that, but three cards yeah, seems to be yeah, enough. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I'm pretty impressed with the way you have it in your wallet. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, or your, your <laughs> wallet. <laughs> um, anyway. And we have one more question, right? Yeah, that's right. So Aaron asks, how do you go about managing family photos and video? Right now, I've got pics from my iPhone and my wife's iPhone being saved to our MacBook photo stream. How do you go about saving photos and videos of your kids from both you and your wife's camera? How do okay, you so do that? This it, is right? a good question for both of us because yeah. Felix is sort of our unofficial amateur slash professional family photographer. Felix is the only person who takes good pictures of anybody in my family. So I wouldn't say that. I well I'm terrible. Very impressed with Anna's pictures recently. And so basically there's a number of ways of attacking this and it's not easy. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go through this backwards. So first of all Aaron said, you know, there's pics from his iPhone and his wife's iPhone being saved to the photo stream. Like, how do you get them all together? So there's a couple ways to do this. One of which is uh, you could also you could use your camera as usual, and then you can use Dropbox to automatically upload it. Dropbox app has a camera import or a camera upload feature now. Hmm. And it will automatically upload any photos or videos you've taken to Dropbox. And then you can use any number of applications I've talked about before, like Sort My Box or uh, IFTTT can probably do it in Zapier to combine the photos from the two of yours. Or you can simply just share those photos with each other. 
A, yeah. a simpler method would be to use a, a, uh, an additional or sorry, a non-native, that's what I meant to say, a non-native camera app. So not the built-in iPhone camera app, but another camera app such as Instagram. So, and in some, or even, I think it's called drop photo, but something like Instagram. So you both would log into the same account basically. And, uh, yeah. So drop photo is the other one. So drop photo is the other app that allows you to take a picture and it goes right to Dropbox. So basically you could both use that app. Instagram, Dropbox, whatever it might be, there's a ton oh, of them. Oh, and use the same account. Yeah, that's a clever And then you're idea. sharing the same account. So not only are you seeing what everybody, you know, what both of you are taking, but yeah. they're also both being stored in the same place. And then if you use something like Instagram, that's a very easy tie-in to IFTTT where it can then, you know, put certain pictures on Facebook for you or it can send them to other people or it can save them yeah. to Dropbox. I, sh- I should mention here that um, it's worth knowing, and not, not everybody knows this, um, PhotoStream is, is great. Um, because I think Aaron's asking here, um, I'm not sure if this is, I'm not sure if this is what he's getting at and it is in his question, but, um, PhotoStream does not store videos. Right. So any family videos you've got, um, those are not coming in via PhotoStream, but you can use the app, um, that Ari was mentioning. And also there's another one. I, th- I think the Dropbox camera sync app will bring in photos if you yes, check the box uh, videos if you bring in the box and then there is also camera sync is an app that you can open separately but you have to have it open and have it running so but it's a good app for, for bringing in the photos into and you can assign it to go to your dropbox account and that's what i've been using yes and uh camera sync actually gives you a lot more control over it that's the thing so like dropbox import is great but it just sort of gets everything it's like a shotgun approach whereas with Camera sync, you can choose a certain date or only videos or, or what, you mm. know, whatever it might be. And by the way, sorry, it's not Drop Photo. The app I was referring to is actually called Cambox. It's Cam really Box. cool because basically it's, it's so fast, it opens really, really quick, and the picture goes right to Dropbox. You don't have to worry about oh, storage really? limitations. It's really nice. Cambox. Cambox, yeah. And we'll have all, obviously, okay, cool. you know, we'll have all this stuff in the show, yeah, sure. show notes for everybody. Uh, so, yeah, but, I, that but would while, be while we're new pictures as far as organizing the current pictures mm-hmm. it's <laughs> there is no perfect solution and i've been working or not working but I, I was beta testing a while with this company called mojo Picks, and they're the closest i think i've seen to some a service that really legitimately can do a good job with your pictures but basically what they do is they they grab the photos from your camera roll and then a person will curate a collection based on the photos you've taken and give yeah. it back and sort of send it back to you. Hey, hey, I've actually got, I mean, sorry to, I, I know we haven't got much time, but no, Aaron, no, no, I want to hear this. But what Aaron's asking is, is about, I think he's asking about him and his wife's pictures. Yeah. It's not just about how to get it. And I think he's trying to figure out how to merge them and have it better managed. Now, what you could do is use, um, there's the default photo stream, which you can check on in your settings on your, on your phone and then what that does is it takes it will store up to a thousand photos and it will put those um into your photo stream so every photo you take goes into photo stream however what you can do is you can set up an additional photo stream so um a shared photo stream which is basically like an online album it's a bit like it's a bit it works a similar way to instagram and what we do with um is we each have our own shared we each have our own photo stream on our phone and you can on that you can say you can invite people 
so for example, I've invited Ari and his family to to my photo stream, and then we post photos on there, and we know that, it, and we like it because we know it's completely private. It's just our family that are seeing those, or whoever's whoever whoever I've invited to see them will see those photos, and and the great thing is you can add videos to that too, and um, and you and your wife, you could set up a you know Aaron's family photo stream. You could call it that. And then you and your wife could both add things to that photo stream and you would have them all in the same spot. That, uh, yeah, I think yeah. that, that that's probably the, the most integrated solution. And save that, then otherwise I would say something like Instagram uh, yeah. or something like Cambox. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Great. Yeah. So before there we get we some, some of the links this week, uh, we have any reviews? Um, we have... Uh, yes, we do. Yes, we have a review. Leah Wingfield writes, True to form, Ari Mizell's book efficiently guides you to using tools that you never knew existed for streamlining, uh, streamlining, I think, the more repetitive and mundane tasks of life. He's very clever at figuring out how to use them and shares them generously. Thank you, Leah. Awesome. awesome. Thank you, yeah. Leah, very much. And if you heard this, if you heard us read your review, please get in touch with us and you can get your less doing t-shirts. So... All right. There's a, a whole bunch of interesting stuff this week. The, the the biggest announcements of the week are, have you seen the new website, Felix? I have. It looks amazing. It's really cool. Yeah. So I just switched over to Squarespace. Less Doing is now on Squarespace. I, I It's funny because three months ago I paid you know a decent amount of money to an outsourced partner to create a website, which I was very happy with, but it wasn't quite serving my needs. And not only that... WordPress is great. It's very powerful. But if you're going to have someone else create a custom theme or, or just have anybody else do the work on it, it's it's a little hard because you lose some of the control. And then if you want to change something, you really have to go back to the person that did it unless you are very adept at coding, which I'm not. So Squarespace is gorgeous. It's so gorgeous. And I've massively simplified the website, made it much easier to navigate. I think that the now that the podcast has video, it's going to show really well. And I've also simplified my coaching services, which we're going to talk about some more. But uh, Squarespace, it's just, it's great. Yeah. What I thought was interesting in a sort of less doing manner is that, like Ari was just saying, you know, a while back he had someone, you know, paid someone, you know, uh, you know, paid someone um, a large sum to do his website. I had the same thing. You know, four four years ago, I had paid someone a large amount of money to do my website. Four years later, I, you know, it's looking about out of date and a bit clunky. I've had made various updates to it, right. but um, but I want a new website that looks really great. And then, like Ari, I went to Squarespace and had a look. And if you look at their their website for uh, all of their website templates, which they have, they just look absolutely unbelievable i mean you you just want one of these websites and you want yours to look like it rather um and what i thought was really interesting is that nowadays if if you're someone that's out there who you know you want a website or you want to look have your website looking looking really impressive and um what you can do is you, you don't have to just hire a, a web designer and pay them a fortune to build you a site what you can do is you can go out and get these um, you can use uh, there are sites like Squarespace, which I highly recommend because they for most people's needs. So that's it's um, it's ideal and it looks fantastic. And there are also themes that you can buy, which is basically like a, a template for a website. And I saw there's a lot of um, 
themes for sale uh, for for WordPress, which is a good sort of blogging platform to use. Um, sites like ThemeForest. If you go to themeforest.com or something like that, um, I'll put it in the show notes. Uh, there are a ton of themes that will give you an idea of what you can just import your data or even have someone, have one of the people on their site do that for you for, I mean, for as, um, as little as 50 bucks, they'll, it, they'll convert your site straight into that theme. And, you know, in a matter of days, you'll have a professional looking site. And Ari found someone to do that with his Squarespace site. And, um, and it was, I can't believe it's that simple and that affordable these days. <laughs> yeah. Well, I got some on Fiverr. Not like it was. And you should, I, yeah. I actually yeah, got yeah, some on Fiverr. Amazing. Yeah. And the yeah. Fiverr guy, it was $5 to convert your WordPress site to a Squarespace site. And, and the, the process is actually not that complicated, but I just, I had 550 something posts and I wanted to make sure that it was done effectively and properly. And, and he did it in a few hours. So that was really cool. Yeah. And I'm, I'm very happy with it. So I would love to hear people's feedback, comments, check out the new blog. It's, and the whole website, it's still at lessdoing.com. It switched over this morning and uh, see what you think. So, there's an article. Did you see the article on the frying oil? And I didn't get to read that one. No, tell, tell me about it. Okay, well, since you didn't read it, I'm going to make you read the title to everybody. Okay. Um, the title is, oh, hang on, where is it? It's, it's, <laughs> it's an explicit pro- podcast, so go for it. Produce your own no-bullshit bulletproof frying oil with the right herbals. Herbal? Sage and rosemary work best. Rosemary, rosemarinic, rosemarinic acid, acid as potent as metformin, anti-diabetes, and add and additional benefits. Okay, so it's a catchy title. Yes, very catchy. Uh, so this is from Subversity, which is one of my favorite websites, actually, because the guy just has so much in-depth knowledge about all the scientific nature of food and, and supplements and sort of everything having to do with the body. And this one is fascinating. So basically what they're saying is that rosemary, thyme, uh, I think sage and even oregano maybe, or it was just those three, sorry, sage, thyme, rosemary, uh, actually have a protective effect on oil because most commercial oils like canola-based oils and stuff and uh, rapeseed oil, which is what canola oil is, uh, they they basically go rancid very quickly and they become very, very dangerous to your health in, in, in a long term. So by infusing them with the thyme and the rosemary sage, it actually decreases that period by – it doubles the induction period basically. So that's the time that it takes the oil to become just terrible for you. So it, it's really sustainable that way. But beyond that and, – and you can do, do this do, yourself. Do you mean with it sitting on your shelf? Yeah, the exactly. bottle of oil? Exactly. Really? That oil, it's just it's not, it's not a natural product. It's not stable. It's commercially created, and it just it breaks down and it becomes rancid and it becomes oxidated, basically. So it's like just throwing. I, I said this before, but it's like putting ninja stars into your uh, into your arteries. Really? So oh. they they said that particularly with rosemary, they were seeing these effects because of the rosmarinic acid, which is that main component. But it has it's the most active ingredient in terms of having a proactive effect on your glucose and lipid metabolism. So what was just amazing about this was so metformin is this is like the number one anti-diabetes drug it's it's really well known and it actually is fairly effective but essentially the rosmarinic acid was stopping the detrimental changes in your liver and your glucose metabolism and this was in rat models of course that they always test this stuff but it's kind of amazing and in addition wow. rosmarinic acid so it it basically in 
Go ahead. No, no. no oh, so Rosmarinic yeah. inhibits seasonal allergic rhinoconjunctivitis, so, uh, which is basically like seasonal allergies. It's anti-Parkinson's effect. It's anti-diabetes. It's helpful against arthritis, various cancers, and even anti-hypertensive. So it's helpful for blood pressure. So go rosemary. <laughs> um, and basically, you can do this yourself. So essentially, what you do is you take uh, what they said is the exact, what they did in the study was 50 grams of plant material, so ground up herbs, put into a liter of your choice of oil. So, it, you know, ideally it would be something like an olive oil, maybe an avocado oil or an almond oil, but it, it even works with a canola oil, uh, you know, if you really had to do that. And you put it mm -hmm. in the fridge for a week and then you, I'm sorry, you stir it for 24 hours. You filter out the particles and you store it in the fridge for a week, and then you've got like super powered oil. Wow, which tastes great as well. Yeah, so go rosemary. Wow, and plus really rosemary is so easy to grow. I mean, it grows like a week, doesn't it? So yeah, exactly. Yeah. So what? Uh, which article did struck you particularly? Oh, I, I really enjoyed reading the um, the the one about um, what do. Uh, hang on, I don't even know if that's on the list. Um, uh, it's okay. You can tell me which one. Oh yeah, no, the, the decision making. Oh yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, that's very interesting. Actually, I have something interesting to add. Is that what I do? Is I um, again drop my son off at school three days a week, and um, you know I have have articles that I like to read, but um, take time. One of the things I like doing is I use this app called SoundGecko, and what SoundGecko does is it it you email the link to the article and it adds and it will send you back a an audio readout a you know recitation of that article but it's really impressive i mean i played it to my dad and um you can choose from various i think you can choose between if you prefer the male or female I find the female one has the best most natural voice but it really reads it well it's a computer but it really sounds like a, a human being yeah. and uh you say you just register the account and email it to forward it to go at soundgecko.com and um and it reads it out to you in the car and then it will add to your itunes podcast feed you or you can use the app it's fantastic yeah no i, I anyway, highly recommend soundgecko actually i use it quite yeah. a bit for things that I don't have a chance to, especially for longer articles. But yeah. so the article that we're talking about here is this, This it's from Barking Up the Wrong Tree, which is Eric Barker's blog, which I love. Again, this guy basically just sits and reads studies all day long and then writes like the best nuggets from them. So this is all about how you can basically make better decisions. And it, it talks about Navy SEALs and psychopaths and uh, samurais yeah. and, and astronauts. And essentially what it boils down to, which is really nice and sort of elegant, is that the best ways to sort of make better decisions is to maintain a feeling of control over your situation, uh, emotional preparation, basically considering how things could be worse, monitoring your breathing, and controlled empathy. And that sort of means like, what advice would you give your best friend in this situation? So I'm always saying that like, you really want to keep making decisions. You don't want to stop and sort of stagnate because that's very dangerous essentially you're just not going to get anywhere it's, it's better to make a bad decision sometimes and to move forward to the next step than to not make a decision at all but mm -hmm. essentially if you sign of keep your cool and try to take yourself out of the situation a little bit while maintaining some control then you have a better perspective in which to make that situation but i think that one last piece of advice which is 
or that one tip is what advice would I give my best friend in this situation? I think that's really good. You know, it's yeah. not, it really makes you stop for a second and be like, if I was explaining yeah. to somebody, what would they do? And a lot of times if you say something, especially if you actually say it out loud, yeah, you might be like, whoa, that sounds terrible. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Well, I, I was particularly interested by the, the way they talk about, you know, um, in any decision you need to remove the emotional, um, aspect of it right. which we've we, we've heard before and that makes a lot of sense but what they also said by um on the other hand is that uh that can also be a bad thing and empathy is a very can be a very good thing and that's where the whole using your best friend example um came in so um you know being able to understand and use your emotions in the right way um, to make a decision, not have them pull you the wrong way. Yeah. Well, and that's and that's why they're referring to the psychopath aspect. Actually. Yes, so the, exactly. The, yeah. This this great book, and I'm, I, I just read it recently, and I can't remember the author now, but I'll have to, we'll we'll put a link in the show notes. Is uh, the wisdom of psychopaths, and it's a really interesting book, basically talking about how psych, psychopathy is uh, sort of an evolutionary thing in a way, but the emotional aspect, being able to turn off the emotions. It, it, in a way, that does actually make you more effective and more powerful, and you can deal with a lot more situations. But when you can't turn them back on and you can't use them, that's sort of when the problem comes in. So you're right. It'd be really easy to say, like, oh, just, you know, the company's losing money, fire 40 people, fine. But, you know, there's there's probably a, a more reasonable solution than just mm. removing yourself from that emotionally. Yeah. So then the, uh, the last article that I want to talk about, and then there were a couple other things I wanted to mention. But the last article was that men's journal one about men sucking at friendship. <laughs> yes, yeah, I haven't, I haven't read that one. So, okay, Go so on. this is, I, I'm not going to get too much into the article because we're actually going to have the author on the podcast in a few weeks. Oh, awesome. Because I'm a big fan. He also wrote the article about the fitness craze thing that I mentioned the other day. Okay. So, so Daniel Dwayne wrote this. But basically it's all about sociology and saying how men's friendships tend to be, for the most part, uh, centered on an activity, you know, so like your friends with your buddies that you windsurf with or your friends with your buddies yeah. that you rock climb with. Uh, and it's, and where women, it's, it tends, tends to be more about sharing of information and emotion and, and stories and like life sharing. So, but what he said in it, which I thought was just so funny, and I don't know how many people have this experience, but I certainly do. Uh, so this is what he writes. I'm just going to read this because it's perfect. He says, typically when I get home from hanging out with Matt, this is talking about friends, when I get home from hanging out with Matt, my wife Liz would say something like, well, what do you have for me? Dish. She meant like some sort of that marital strife. And my reply almost always was, well, um, I don't know. And she would say, two hours you were gone. Think. And then he would say, <laughs> okay. Well, Matt does want a seven-footer, mostly for tube riding. Does that count? And it's so true. <laughs> like, I'll go out. You know, it happens with us. You know, we work out together twice mm -hmm. a week. And then, you know, usually we'll go out for dinner after and talk. And you're with each other for like two or three hours. And when I get home, it's like, no, we, you know, we, yeah, we talk nonstop for three hours. But, I, like, there's nothing to sort of report, you know? Mm. Yeah. Very hard to... Very hard to sort of make those two realities come together, but basically, uh, it's a very good article, and it's really, really interesting, sort of how those those friendships differ. But what I also really loved is that essentially, until the '60s, most scholarly researchers were men uh, until the sort of women's liberation, and a lot of the sociological studies they were doing on women's interactions were based 
at, like on the measuring stick of men's friendships. So it's like, right, right. would you pull me out of a foxhole? It's like, well, no, that question didn't really apply to many women in the 30s and 40s necessarily. Mm. So, yeah. Anyway. Uh, and then uh, before we get into the interview, I just oh, wanted to mention that, again, we talked about the mastermind group last week with uh, Sam Cook on yeah. the interview. And it's it's effectively launching next week. So I'm awesome. really excited. You can go to the new site, to the lessdoing.com site, and under How Can I Help You, there is a section on Mastermind, and you can sign up there to get more information on that. So I hope people do. And I guess, actually, we'll leave you with a, a quick recipe because this thing is, I haven't tried it yet, but I'm dying to, which is the bacon jam. <laughs> so this is from Liz Wolf. Over, she used to be Cave Girl Eats, but it's bacon, onions, and dates. And that is bacon jam. And now I know that the, the whole bacon craze is kind of ridiculous, but that sounds amazing. Oh, so, well, It's a jam, you know, like what you put on, on toast. Is that what you mean? Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. It does sound good. It does yeah. sound good. Yeah. So, all right. So, the interview today is with James Clear. And James is a photographer, a weightlifter, and a sort of like productivity guru in his own right. He's got some amazing stuff to say. And he actually is responsible for one of my my most recent favorite expressions, which is that average speed produces better than average results. So, essentially, keep going yeah. at a pace and you're going to do better than you would have otherwise. No, I thought it was a really interesting um, interview, and I really like what he had to say, and um, particularly his whole thing about focusing on the system right. versus the goal. And um, I know you were both mentioning that, but it was—I thought that was really interesting, very applicable to me, to my my work. Yeah, cool. All right, well, thanks everyone for listening. The show notes are going to have all the links we talked about, and thank you, Felix. And here's the interview. We'll see you guys next week. All right. So my guest now is James Clear, and he writes about changing habits and health at jamesclear.com. So James, thank you so much for talking to me. Hey, thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. So you actually write about all sorts of stuff that that really, really jives with a, with a lot of stuff that I write about and I believe in about productivity and health. But I want to focus today on goals. Uh, but before that, I, you know, you're you're a weightlifter. You're you're a photojournalist, basically. Like, how how do you what do you spend your time on? What 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 do you like doing? Yeah, sure. Well, I guess my time is kind of divided among three main areas right now. The majority of my time is spent writing. Um, I write new articles every Monday and Thursday on JamesClear.com, mostly about health and behavior change and all the stuff that we'll talk about today. Um, but then I also, every three months, I try to go on a photography trip to do some travel photography work and sort of like highlight the rituals and routines and the habits and behaviors and the culture and traditions of whatever the particular area is that I'm going to. So like the last one, it was Morocco. Um, I'm going to Colorado in uh, a week, so that'll be the next one. And so anyway, but wherever I'm going, my hope is to try to like tell the story visually as well about like what our habits and rituals and routines look like. Like what is the... What, what does it feel like to be on the ground in that particular place? And then the, the third thing is um, weightlifting. So I was a, a baseball player all through college and was an athlete for a long time. And then once I graduated, I was looking for a way to, to join another team and something to be a part of. And weightlifting was, um, was kind of that outlet. And now it's nice, too, to be a, a practitioner of the stuff that I talk about. So weightlifting is a way for me to to share the the habits and routines that I that I write about each week and sort of like live that out and talk about what it looks like in practice. Because sometimes 
it's things sound good in theory, but they're much different um, in the real world. So, sure. Well, so now are we talking about Olympic style lifting or powerlifting or everything, or what's what's your what do you like? Yeah, when I first got started, um, my dad did a little bit of Olympic lifting, so that was like sort of what I was introduced to through college and and as I was playing sports, we most of the stuff we did was more powerlifting routines. Um, but then now, the last two years in particular, two or three years have been pretty much Olympic lifting focused for me. Um, I still do, you know, squat, deadlift, bench, it's like foundational strength, but um, but yeah, it's mostly Olympic lifting. Yeah, and so this is sort of like a sidebar, but I did my first Olympic lift probably three years ago, I want to say, and it's I never did anything like that before in my life. I was never really into weights much in general. I was a uh, I was a sprinter through high school, and then I, I did triathlon after. So Olympic lifting is so fascinating to me because of the skill involved, and I think people just don't realize that it's it's so much more skill than strength. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you have to have the raw power, but the technique will always hold you back if you don't have it. And um, I honestly, I think that's one of the things I like about it so much is that, um, you know, it's similar to some of the other topics I write about, like writing, for example, you know, you can never be, there's always a way to improve your writing. Well, there's like always a way to improve as an Olympic weightlifter as well. So absolutely. I love that that continual focus on incremental gains and gradual improvement. And like, there's always something I can work on when I show up. Well, and, and I think it's a good lead in actually to this discussion I want to have with you on goals because I, I've had several occasions where, you know, I was getting up to a certain weight, like the, the clean is my particular one that I like to, I really like to sort of work on my clean. Uh, and I've had so many times where I've, I've tried a weight, failed, a couple minutes later, tried it again, failed, and then a couple minutes later, tried it and hit it and it felt easy, you know, and it, it's just kind of amazing. It's like a different approach very quickly, sort of resetting yourself, remembering what you're supposed to be doing. And, and then you can sort of hit those goals. So uh, I just, I, I love that. But okay, so I want to talk about goals. So I recently wrote an article but I, on my uh, blog, but I've, I've talked about this before. I get almost annoyed when I have people come to me who have these really big long-term goals that don't really make sense to me. You know, and it doesn't matter if it's like a weight loss goal or a business goal. My favorite my favorite business goal is when someone's like, I want to sell my company for $100 million in three years. And my problem with that is that, and people are going to say I'm being nitpicky, but what if you sell it for $110 million? Does that mean that you didn't do something according to your plan? Or, or And why is that the goal anyway? And why three years? And like, there, you know, the, a lot of business coaches push people to set these sort of lofty goals, and then there's no path to get to them. So, before I talk about my theory about how you should really get there, like, wh what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so I I was very goal oriented for a long time. Like, you know, coming through school, I would set goals for the grades I wanted to get each year, and goals for the weights I wanted to hit in the gym, and goals for you know all sorts of things. Um, what was interesting is that the areas where I like really made progress in my lives off often ended up not being like an area where I set a particular goal for myself. Yeah. Um, and uh, often the performance, even if I did set a goal, did not match the goal that I set in, in either way. It was either much better, much worse. Like it, the act of setting a goal had very little bearing on whether or not I like achieved it or made progress in that area. Now, here's the distinction that I think I've come to, to realize and has worked well for me. Um, the, one of the problems when you talk about setting goals is that the word goal is pretty ambiguous. Like it can mean many different things to different people. Some people say, I have a goal to get in shape. Well, 
I think that's okay. Like that's just sort of a general direction for yourself. Other people would say, I have a goal of losing 25 pounds in the next 12 weeks. Well, that is like trying to predict an outcome. And I find that when goals try to predict outcomes, that's sort of where the problem comes in Mm -hmm. because it's completely made up. There's no, like if you, if you really break it down, there's actually nothing it's based on. Um, and, uh, and so that's where, that's where I think it's less useful. So what I think is really useful and the, the pattern that works well for me is figure out the direction that is important to you, like develop a little bit of clarity and a sense of purpose around what you're working on, what you're working toward and why you're focused on that in that direction. And then once you've developed a sense of clarity and a sense of purpose, then you can focus on the system that you put into practice each day. So the difference of the distinction I like to draw is between systems and goals. Like if you're a coach, your goal is to win the championship, but your system is what your team does to practice each day. If you just focused on the system, would you still make progress? Probably. I think that based on my experience, you might get just as far or even farther if you just put your energy into the system that you focused on each day rather than worrying about the goal and trying to predict an outcome. Okay, so so that that is very similar to my approach. Where so the the two ways that I like to approach goals really is micro goals for one. So I'm really into setting very short, small, attainable goals. Not only because they are more achievable, but because I believe that progress begets progress. And as you hit a micro goal, you're going to want to hit the next one. You know, it, it's it's just like <laughs> I uh, you know the website Daily Lit. No. Okay. So Daily Lit, like literature, Daily Lit, uh, they have thousands and thousands of books and most of the classics that people know about. And I always have a real problem reading fiction. Like I, I can go through three or four nonfiction books a week, but fiction, which I really believe is important, I just have a lot of time, uh, a lot of hard, I mean, a hard time sort of focusing on. So Daily Lit sends you one page a day of any of these books by email. And it does two things. One, I can read a page and, and you can immediately click at the end and get another one if you want to keep going. But I can read a page in, you know, five or 10 minutes. And then what happens is that I want to keep that chain going. So I want to read every single day now, you know, and I don't want to miss it. And even if I have to, you know, wait an hour or, or wait a few hours to read that one page, I'm likely going to get it during the day. So, so that's one thing about the micro goals. But the other thing is that I'm really big on self-improvement. And I believe that if you are constantly working to improve everything you do all the time, eventually you're going to get to that goal or whatever and, and, and tons of other goals along the way. Yeah, I, uh, you know, the reading one is an interesting example. It's something I've been playing with personally a little bit more right now. And what I've been doing, I noticed that like I enjoy reading. I read a lot, especially, but I felt like I was reading more online than actual books. And I don't know if that's beneficial because I think a lot of better writing is in books usually. So anyway, uh, to figure out like how I could read more, I just, the, the little thing that I did was, um, I sort of took a page out of my book from lifting. So like when I wanted to add more pushups to my workout routine, I just started with a really low number that wasn't uh, intimidating at all, like 10. And then I did 10 the first day and then I did 11 the next day and then 12 the next day and just continue going up. Um, well, it, to do the reading, I figured I'd start with a number that was very unintimidating as well. And I was like, okay, I could read 20 pages. Like that's, that's not, I could fit that into yeah. my day. It's less than 30 minutes. Like I, you know, I'm just going to read 20 pages when I wake up. And I've stuck to that for the last few weeks now. I've already gone through three books and on to the next one. Like it's just, it's interesting how quickly those small gains add up. Um, and I think that's another one of the lessons for me is that very tiny incremental gains when done consistently 
add up to pretty significant improvements relatively quickly. Right. So now, I, I, I'm, if this is not your quote, I apologize, but I, I think that this was something you said about average speed. Yeah. 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 Okay. So I um, a buddy of mine named Nathan Barry wrote three books in a little over ten months, and the way that he did it wow. was by writing a thousand words a day for two hundred and fifty nine straight days, and. A thousand words is not really that much. The The interesting thing for me is that like a lot of times the conversation is about, oh, you need to out hustle everybody. You need to outwork like you need to burn the midnight oil, work constantly. This is especially an entrepreneurial head, like, head down. I hate that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if you looked at Nathan um, at no one single point, would you say, wow, he's out hustling everyone so much like, you know, he only wrote a thousand words that day. You could do that in about 20 or 30 minutes. It's a little over two pages. It's not that much. But by doing it every single day, he all you turn around and all of a sudden he has three books written in ten months. And it's like you know way more progress than most people would make, um, and even more progress probably than the people who out hustle everybody make because that's only sustainable for a short amount of time, and then you crash. So by picking some by picking a, a decent average speed rather than a really high maximum speed, Nathan was able to continue over and over and over again and make significant progress. So it was uh, sorry because you put it so elegantly. It was average speed produces better than average results, or what was it? Uh, yeah, it's just that average speed, when maintained consistently, produces significant results over a relatively short amount of time. It's a surprisingly small amount of time that it takes for those average gains to add up to a significant improvement. Yeah, I, 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 and I love that. And I really, actually, I want to focus on that for a second because I want people to really take note of that. That. It, it's the tortoise and the hare thing. You know, you you can you can go all out and and burn out very quickly, which is what society sort of pushes people to do. And it is the fact. This is part of the reason why every day I'm dealing with somebody who's telling me that they're overwhelmed. Whereas if you just stay consistent, you know, just stay the course and do your best, like in the moment, all the time, you're gonna get all of these things and more. Yeah, yeah. Well, and uh, figuring out that this actually just comes right back. I mean, Nathan's system to write, like a lot of people could set, think about the difference between. So, Nathan's system was to write a thousand words a day. And by doing that for 259 straight days, he had three books. If we take the goal approach, he could have said, My goal is to write three books in the next year. That just saying that sentence sounds overwhelming, doesn't it? Like, it's not like that kind of stresses yeah. me out just thinking about trying to take that task on. But most people would approach it from the goal side, not from the system side. So if you just focus on that system of writing a thousand words a day, the results come anyway. Um, so you don't have to worry so much about the goal and predicting the outcome and when it's going to occur. I mean, this is one of the problems with goals. It's like you try if you ask anybody separately, hey, can you predict the future? People are like, no, of course I can't. But every time you set a goal and some type of outcome like that, that's basically what you try to do. It's like, oh, I'm going to predict the future. I'll write three books in the next 10 months. Um, but it, you know, it doesn't work that way. And it's also completely unnecessary because you can just focus on the system and the incremental improvement and it'll take you there anyway. Right. And so, so my actual like feeling about success is that uh, if, if I am better today in any way than I was yesterday, then I'm, I'm being successful, essentially. That's, that's how I like to look at it. So it, it's true. It, it, the setting, figuring out what this goal is. And the other thing, the other problem with a goal, in my opinion, is that you set your sights so off far in the future that you don't see everything that's coming at you right now. And it, I think it almost perpetuates this problem where people cannot be present, you know, which is a thing that's so important. 
Yeah, no, that's yeah, it's absolutely it's huge. Um, being in the moment is is a way to improve performance anyway. Like if you just think about um, the this actually is this part of the concept of inbox zero, the email management system. The idea is to have your mental inbox at zero, so that you're giving one hundred percent of your effort to whatever the task is at hand right now. And if your mind, whatever percentage of your mind is somewhere else at this moment, working on a different problem that's in your actual email inbox or something that you're focused on in the future, something you're stressed about, then you don't have your best energy to give to that task. And so by removing some of the things that are pulling you outside of the moment, you get to focus more on the task at hand right now. Right. So what, what do you, I mean, I, I'm not, I, I may not be surprised, but what, what do you find to be like the hardest habits to change for people? Um, I mean, there, it's going to differ based on each person, right? But like the constant things that come up are procrastination, lack of focus. Um, I've tried it, you know, every diet known to mankind, but I can't seem to like get one to work, all these type of things. Um, But if you really boil it down, habits for the most part are just getting started and, and like teaching yourself to be able to get started again each day. So um, if you can figure out ways to automate starting the routine or starting the behavior, and actually this, this brings me to an important point about like semantics and word choice, which is that um, for habits, we often use the word habit to encapsulate a lot of different things, but what we might mean is actually like a routine. So people say things like, oh, I'm going to make a habit of working out. Um, but in the, in the research and the literature, a habit is like an automatic behavior and you're not going to like automate and go unconscious for an entire hour while you're at the gym. So gym's more like working out's more of a routine rather than a habit. Whereas like scratching your arm or biting your nails or smoking a cigarette, something you do automatically without thinking that might be more of a habit. And this also comes into the goal conversation we had where, you know, I use the word system and like Nathan wrote a thousand words a day and that was his system for you. That might be like, you might call it a micro goal, right? right so like right, his right. micro goal might've been to write a thousand words that day. So some people get hung up on this cause like, well, the system is really a goal. I don't really care what words you use. The idea is focus on the continual improvement in those incremental small gains, that average speed rather than trying to predict like a large goal in the future. Um, but to bring it back to, to habits and routines, Habits are just getting started over and over and over again. And so if you can figure out a way to like mindlessly initiate the task that you're working on, whether it's trying to stick to a better diet or lose weight or, you know, get stop procrastinating and work on the project you need to work on, whatever it is, if you figure out a way to mindlessly initiate that, then it's sort of, it's like an on-ramp for your behavior. It kickstarts the routine and makes it easier for you to do that larger complex thing that, that comes later. So one of the rules, I have a couple different frameworks I use for this. So one is, um, it comes from David Allen's book, Getting Things Done, where it's called the two-minute rule, and I modify it a little bit. So his rule is, if a task takes less than two minutes, do it now. Do it so now. it's sort of like a productivity thing, right? Like if you, that phone call you've been putting off, or washing the dishes, or throwing the laundry in, or whatever, if it takes less than two minutes, do it right now. Well, I think you can take a similar approach for initiating new habits and behaviors. So any habit, it, most habits are probably going to take longer than two minutes to do. Take longer than two minutes to go run three miles today or something like that. But any habit can be initiated in less than two minutes. And figuring out a way to automate that initiation piece, that's what like gets you going and starts this sort of behavioral inertia that takes you through to the end of the, the routine. So like little things like 
if you want to set your gym clothes out before you go to work and then it makes it easier for you to, to do that. Right. Or like putting right. your, if you want to go for a run, just put your shoes on and step out the front door. You can do that in under two minutes. And if you do, then you've succeeded. You don't have to run a single step. But what happens of course, is that there's usually this behavioral inertia. It's like, all right, I got my shoes on I'm out the door. I might as well run a little bit. Right. So, and you can also take the opposite approach, which is like providing a constraint for yourself that is so small that you can't say no to it. So for example, I was, I had lunch with a reader who was telling me about, he lost over a hundred pounds, took him like two years or so. And one of the things that he did when he started uh, working out or adding exercise into his routine is he told himself, he set a rule. I'm not allowed to stay at the gym for longer than five minutes. So he went, but he could not stay for six minutes and he that for like over four or five weeks. And then eventually it was like, I'm coming here all the time. I kind of feel like staying longer. And so by setting a, res- a constraint that wasn't intimidating at all, he was able to build the habit of starting the behavior. And then after he like had the habit of, okay, I'm going to the gym all the time, then he focused on the performance and the improvement piece. Um, but he focused on building the ability to start over and over again and then moved on to the improvement later. Usually we bite off more than we can chew and then we have trouble getting started because we're, you know, we're trying to do something that intimidates us or that's a really big change or a big shift. Sure. Okay. So the, the system, as, as, I mean, as you're referring to them now, you know, as these systems, like what is your system for writing, for instance? Because, I mean, doing an article every Monday and Thursday, Thursday, right? Monday, Thursday. Yeah. I mean, that, that's, that's a commitment, honestly. Uh, so like how, what's your system? Like how do you just get into that groove and write? Sure. So I find that the hardest thing for me or the, the single thing that will hold me back the most is not having decided what my article will be about that day. So if the day before I already choose, okay, this is the title, this is the topic, that's all I need, then I can wake up and I have a place to start, then that makes that like removes the friction and then I can just start researching and typing and whatever. Um, But I literally on days that I have not done that, I have spent over four hours before trying to decide what article I'm going to write. And so just by removing that, I save myself a ton of time and friction. So that's like the one thing that I do. And then I have little stuff too, like, I'll wake up, I write first thing in the morning. So I'll wake up, get a glass of water and then like sit down at, you know, same chair, blah, 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 clear the screen, nothing else except for the writing. And then, you know, so like I do a couple little things to initiate that, but choosing what I'm going to write about is the biggest thing that reduces friction. Um, but, and, also, but do you actually, so you, do you like sit down and you're like, I'm going to try to think about what I want to write or, or do you just, I mean, how do, how do you sort of, uh, encourage that creative process yeah, or, sure. or is that, or is the creative process become a habit now? Uh, yeah, well I try, so I, I do try to build systems around each thing. So like I have, if you think about it as as a stack, so I have like information coming in at the top of the funnel. Then I have from that information, I get certain ideas. Then from those ideas, I decide on certain titles and potential articles, and then I write the article itself. So at the top of the stack are like books I read. So I have like a system that I'm building now for recording notes from the books I read. And so that's like sort of distilling that information into the idea phase. And then I have a spreadsheet of over like 200 potential ideas that could become topics. So I'm always just adding little things in there, a snippet from a conversation or an idea from a chapter in a book. And then, um, and then I also have titles um, where I basically keep a long list of like potential titles for articles. And then I try to match up good titles with good ideas. And then that's like initiate uh, the starting piece for uh, for an article. Okay. Gotcha. Um, gotcha. But you can also take, so that's like sort of the, the on-ramp for my, for my writing process. I do something similar for working out. Like I, 
when I show up at the gym, I have a routine. And I got this from, I, I first learned this when I was playing baseball. Because the thing about baseball is that there's a lot of games. So you play, you know, you can, I mean, we would play like 40 games in two months or whatever. So you're always at the, the ballpark. And the coach will say things like, you need to find a way to get motivated today. You got to find a way to get up for the game today. Well, if you're always playing, it can be hard to like, you're not going to naturally show up at the ballpark every single day. Like, wow, I'm so excited to play today. There's just going to be days where you're down. So I needed to figure out a routine that could get me motivated and get me into like game mode for before the, the game started, even if I didn't show up feeling that way. And so I had this whole pregame routine I would do with like running and stretching and throwing from different distances. And by the time I got done with that, I did it the same way every single time. And so it was like a signal, like a trigger to my brain, like, hey, it's time to play now. And by the time I got done with that, I was like in game mode. Well, I do the same thing with lifting. I show up at the gym, I take out my bag, I put on my lifting shoes, I put on my knee sleeves, wrist wraps, get a, glass, get a drink of water, do 10 squats without the bar, 10 squats with the bar. By the time I get done with that routine, I do it the same way every time. And it's like, oh, a, a switch flips in my brain. It's like, okay, it's time to train now. Um, and so even if I don't show up feeling really motivated to do it, by the time I get done with that, that's the sequence has started and it's like an on-ramp for me mentally so that I can initiate the behavior. I also don't have to show up at the gym wondering, man, what am I motivated to do today? Like I just do the same thing and then everything flows naturally from that. Right. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. What are there some habits that you're working on now? New things? The reading is a new one, the 20, uh, 20 pages a day. Um, I'm at 50 push-ups a day right now. I'm trying to decide like whether I should, um, whether I should like continue to increase that, you know, or if I just want to use that as like a maintenance level thing. So that's like trying to figure out, you know, so take Nathan's example, right? Like he got, he wrote a thousand words a day. Does he try to increase that to 1100 or 1200 or 1500 or does he just continue at 11 at 1000 words a day and then focus on like doing better work there? Um, so I'm I, I, the things that I'm thinking about now are like that balance between continual improvement versus like trying to get to a level where I'm satisfied with each thing. Um, so balancing that out is I don't know something I'm thinking about. Well, so that's funny actually. So you know who Stephen Kotler is, right? Yeah. Yeah, so he you know in in um, Rise of Superman he talks about how there's you have to challenge yourself, but there's a perfect amount of challenge, and it's four percent harder than what you're used to. So that would suggest that you know you should go from a thousand words to a thousand forty if you really want to push those limits. Yeah, it's kind of funny. Yeah, that's interesting. I I, uh, I haven't read that book yet, but it prompts this idea in my head of the whole world, especially the body, the human body is it thrives on balance. Like there's constant feedback loops that are there to keep everything from the amount of like liquid in your cells to the hormones that your body has. Like it's all designed to keep you within this balance, within the safety margin, um, one way or the other. And, but the body also has this amazing ability to expand and grow. And that's why, you know, when you lift weights, if you do it consistently and gradually over time, you get stronger, you get bigger, the body has this ability to adapt to change. But if you try to do too much at once, if you try to put 200 pounds in the bar more than what you're used to lifting, you break down, you injure yourself. Right. It's too big of a stretch. So figuring out where that like safety margin is, where it's, it's just enough to prompt growth, but it's still within the, the bounds of um, without injuring you and like causing inflammation and undue stress. Um, I, that's like an interesting area to live. I, I hadn't heard that 4% number, but um, 
Yeah, I, yeah I, thought, I, I thought that was cool, and it, it sort of, you know, can basically apply it to almost anything, whether it's lifting a weight or writing more or faster or running or all that stuff. So, um, okay, well, so we're basically out of time here, but I want to ask you this last question, which I love asking people at the end, which is what are your top three tips for being more effective? Anything, anything that you know or do or, or, or like, but what are the top three things for, for being more effective? Sure. So one uh, that I try to keep in mind and, and practice relatively consistently is reduce the scope, but stick to the schedule. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, if you're looking to run, if your plan is to run three miles today and you look up at the clock and you only have 10 minutes left and it's like, okay, it's not enough time to like put my shoes on and go run three miles. And rather than saying something like, and this is what I would have done in the past where I would be like, well, I don't want to waste that time. So maybe I'll just like send an important email or, you know, manage something else to get like, make sure I use a pr- productive use of that time. Rather than saying that, I would rather now say, okay, 10 minutes isn't enough time for me to change and run three miles, but I could put my shoes on and run a half mile or do 10 sprints or something like that. So you reduce the scope of what you're working on, but you stick to the schedule and maintain the habit. On an individual basis, that's not going to make a big impact, but on a cumulative basis of proving yourself, okay, the situation wasn't perfect, but I still figured out a way to make this work. The circumstances weren't ideal, but I'm still the type of person who sticks to the schedule that I set for myself. That is much more significant over the long term because you proved to yourself that you're capable of doing what you said you would do and that you're capable of building this identity of like being the type of person who works out regardless of the circumstances being ideal or not. Um, so I, I practice that a lot with my articles, you know, like, I'm going to judge the article I write, and I probably think it isn't good enough, but I'm going to publish it anyway, so that I'm sticking to the schedule in some way. Um, right. So that's one. The second thing is find a way to improve by an unintimidating amount, so a 1% gain, for example. Um, one of the popular stories I tell is about Dave Brailsford, the British cycling coach, who when he took over Team Great Britain, they had never won a Tour de France. And, uh, and there, that was the goal for bringing him in. And he said, okay, what we're going to do is focus on improving every single thing we do by 1%. Um, and so that includes the stuff that, that you would expect, like the weight of the bike tires or the type of the suit the riders would wear or their training program. But it also included stuff that most people wouldn't expect, like the type of hand soap they use to reduce infection, the pillow that gave the rider a best night's sleep and they would take that with them to hotels. Um, all types of the best massage gel to use for recovery. So like all types of stuff, they tried to improve every single thing by 1%. And he said, if we do that, I think we'll win a tour de France in five years. Um, they ended up winning it in three years. And then they repeated with a different rider and won it the next year again. And then when they went to the Olympics and, uh, for the, and brought team great Britain there, they won 70% of the gold medals available. So, the yeah, so the the whole theory behind his stuff is let's find these one percent gains and then let's aggregate them in every area we can. And I love it because one, it's not intimidating at all, and two, um, it there's this compound growth effect. You know, it's not just you're not just adding one plus one plus one. It's like it's like compound interest in finance. You know, like as you continue to add all these one percent gains, they end up adding up to much more. There's like some type of synergy between them. Um, that gives you a significant growth boost. So that I would say is uh, is another one that is uh, that is really useful for me. And then um, the third one, I for me honestly one of the best things I do I I've, I think folks the the idea behind this is focus on keystone habits. Um, but for me, my keystone habit is health and weightlifting. So if I train, if I go to the gym, everything else in my life tends to fall in line. 
When I get back, I have better focus, so I can work on my, I can do better work. I tend to eat better naturally, just because, I don't know, it's just I'm like, oh, I worked out, I don't want to waste it, so my nutrition improves. Um, I sleep better at night, which means I wake up the next day and I feel better. I have um, more focus the next day because of that. All of this stuff reduces stress, you know, and I didn't think about trying to improve all these different things at once. I just focused on training, and there was this natural ripple effect that happened from focusing on that one keystone habit. And so I would say figure out what the keystone habit is for you and just focus on that rather than trying to get overwhelmed and fix a lot of things at once. And it can be different things for different people. Like CEOs often say meditation is their keystone habit. And if they get their 15 minutes of meditation in a day, they tend to solve problems better and you know things start to sort of flow in a better manner. So you'll have to take some time and experiment to figure out what it is for you. But I think those three things, focusing on the scope, reducing the scope, but sticking to the schedule, um, making small incremental 1% gains and figuring out what your keystone habit is and focusing on that rather than getting overwhelmed with all sorts of other stuff. Love it. Well, James, thank you so much for all of that. And where is the best place for people to find out more about you and see those Monday and Thursday articles? Yeah, for sure. So jamesclear.com is, uh, is where I write. They can uh, you know see everything listed there. Also, a lot of the things that we've talked about, I sort of summarized and synthesized and added some more information in uh, to this habits guide that I put together. So mm-hmm. it's about 46 pages and people can download it for free. So if they want to get that, they can get that at jamesclear.com slash habits. And, and we'll link to all both uh, websites and all your stuff on the show notes as well. So James, thank you again. It was really fun talking to you. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me.